Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Good morning, church. There's nothing like the name of Jesus, is there? Amen. Philippians has said, as God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. What a powerful, powerful message. Amen. And we can always, no matter what we're going through, we can always trust in that name. And the world is going through so much, isn't it? I mean, everyone seems to be going through, you know, suffering or some type of suffering or brokenhearted. We've seen death. We've seen sickness. We've seen depression. I mean, just the world seems to be going through so much. But did you know in the midst of that that my God is still in control? In the midst of it all, and we're seeing a lot, and if you look at the scriptures, it actually says it's going to get worse. But in the midst of it all, my God is still in control. Amen? And so in our message for today, hopefully we will see some of that. And so today we're continuing this preaching series, um, Easter at Luke's, where we're looking at our Lord's last week just prior to his crucifixion and resurrection according to Luke. Uh, Randy started started us off last week in the 19th chapter of Luke, and uh, today we're going to be in the 20th chapter of Luke. And this series will continue through Easter. Now, I do have two sets of scriptures. Those of you who know me, you know I like to use the scriptures. Amen? (laughs) Um, So we're going to look at an Old Testament scripture, 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. And uh, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with the story of Naaman the leper, so I want to make sure everyone's familiar with that story. We'll be referring to that during the message. And then we'll be going back to Luke, the 20th chapter. So let's start with uh, 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to go to verses 9 through 14. And I think everyone knows me by now, but for those who don't, Pastor Rico Patterson. All right, 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, start with the first verse. It says, uh, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, or I wish to God, my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment or clothing. Then if you could go to verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth or angry, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, 
and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now let's go to Luke, the 20th chapter. Luke, third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke, the 20th chapter. And we're going to look at the first two verses and then verses uh, 9 through 18. So Luke, 20th chapter, starting with the first verse. And it came to pass that on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders and spake unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority doest thou these things? Or who is he that gave thee this authority? Then moving to verse 9, Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen or to farmers and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent another servant, and they beat him also, and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we again, Lord, just thank you, Lord, for this blessed opportunity, Lord, as we stand here, Lord, preparing to deliver thy holy and thy most precious word. Lord, and know them not deserving, Lord, Lord, we know that we're not worthy, Lord, but it's simply because of your grace and your mercy, Lord, that you have even allowed us to be here today, Lord, and for that we truly are grateful, Lord. Lord, as I stand here this morning, Lord, it's once again that I ask for the filling of your Holy Spirit upon me, Lord, and I ask and pray that the words that come forth from out of my mouth, that they would not be mine, Lord, but I ask and pray they might be yours. For we are not here for form or fashion, Lord. We are not here to glorify ourselves, but we are here to lift up your name, the wonderful, magnificent, awesome, glorious, and just precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. So I ask right now, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen me, Lord, that you would use me and help me to lift up your name. 
In Jesus Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen. Our message for this morning is entitled, Jesus is our rock. Jesus is our rock. Now in our text, it is Tuesday, two days after Palm Sunday, and our Lord Jesus' authority was being challenged by the religious leaders. Now, this was no surprise to our Lord Jesus, for even though he was being praised by the crowd on Sunday, he knew it was a superficial praise that wouldn't last. For after being hailed as a king on Sunday and then throwing the money changers out of the temple on Monday, the religious leaders had had enough of Jesus, and they had already made the decision to get rid of him. Therefore, while he was teaching in the temple on that Tuesday, they began to challenge him. And our Lord Jesus summed up the spirit of these religious leaders in the last two verses of this 20th chapter, verses 46 and 47, when he said, Beware of the scribes, which desire to walk in long robes, and love greetings in the markets, and the highest seats in the synagogues, and the chief rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses, and for a show make long prayers, the same shall receive greater damnation. Thus, one can just imagine the anger that these religious leaders had towards our Lord Jesus. And it was in this spirit of animosity that the chief priests and elders said to him in the second verse again, Tell us, by what authority doest thou these things? Or who is he that gave thee this authority? But instead of responding directly to them, our Lord Jesus exposed their wickedness by speaking to them in parables. In this parable, beginning in the ninth verse about the husbandmen or the farmers is what we want to focus on today. For in this parable, the Lord of the vineyard represents God the Father. The vineyard represents the nation of Israel. The husbandmen or the farmers represents the Jewish religious leaders. And the son represents God the Son or Jesus Christ. And what we see in this parable is that just as the servants were beaten, in the same way when God sent his servants, the prophets, to Israel to remind them of their relationship with God and the fruit that they were to bear, they were cast aside and many of them were beaten or killed. For instance, tradition says that the prophet Isaiah was sawed in half. Jeremiah was stoned to death. Amos was killed with a club, and we know John the Baptist was beheaded. But despite the wickedness of Israel's forefathers, what we see in this parable is that God was still patient with them, and therefore he sent his son and said, maybe they will reverence him. But they treated his son the same way that they treated the prophets, and they even killed him. And this was a prophecy of God the son's crucifixion. For in Acts 2.23, it says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. However, despite our Lord Jesus being aware of his upcoming death, through this parable, he was also letting them know that his death was not the end and that my God was still in control. For after speaking about the death of the son in this parable, which prophesied of his own upcoming death, in verse 17, 
Our Lord then asked the religious leaders this unusual question. The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. And the reason why our Lord asked them this question, which was taken from the 118th Psalm, is because he knew that that scripture referred to none other than himself. And therefore, what our Lord was saying in this parable was that even though he may be rejected by the world, even though it may look like he was defeated at the cross, he is the head of the corner. He is the true cornerstone, and the true church would be built upon him. This is why Peter said in 1 Peter, the second chapter, ye also as lively or living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded or not be disappointed. Church, no matter what we might see in this world, Jesus Christ is our true cornerstone. And this is why we need to place all of our faith in him. And that's why I thank God that Jesus is our rock. Amen? Now, if we look at the word of God, we see many different ways in which our Lord Jesus is described as a rock or a stone in the scriptures. So today we want to briefly take a look at three of these ways. First, let's go back to Luke, the 20th chapter and verse 18. Luke, the 20th chapter, and we want to look at the first part of verse 18. And there it reads, whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. I want to stop right there. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. So the first thing we see is that Jesus Christ is a stumbling stone. Jesus Christ is a stumbling stone. Now again, as we look at the beginning of this chapter, the religious leaders were questioning the authority of our Lord Jesus. For they did not believe that he could possibly be the Messiah. For their expectation of the Messiah was a king who would immediately overthrow the Roman government. That he would set up his kingdom and set up Israel as the, as the leader of this world. Therefore, when our Lord Jesus came in humility, when he came in meekness, when he came in love at his first coming, this caused the Jews to stumble because he was not what they expected. But even this was prophesied in the scriptures. In the 8th chapter of Isaiah, which was written 700 years earlier, it says... He shall be a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. And many among them shall stumble and, be, and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Have you ever tripped or stumbled over a small stone in your pathway? You may not have been paying attention. You may have been in a hurry. That stone on the ground was not what you expected. And the next thing you know, you stumbled or you fell. And I tell you, when you get my age, that's the last thing you want to have happen to you. When you get my age, you don't know what bones might be broken, and you might not ever get back up. Well, that's what happened to the nation of Israel. For as a nation, they didn't pay attention to our Lord Jesus. They didn't realize who he truly was. He wasn't who they expected, and therefore they stumbled at his word. 
And as a result, they became broken or shattered because they rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And if we think about it, the same thing is happening to many people in the world today. For when our Lord Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh to the Father but by me, that's when Jesus becomes a stumbling stone. Often do we hear people in the world today say, don't we all serve the same God? Often do you hear people say, aren't there many ways to heaven? How often do we hear people say, how can Jesus be the only way? But as a result, many will stumble and be broken or shattered because simply just like Israel, they refuse to believe what God said in his word. And believe it or not, a beautiful picture of how we are saved and can avoid Jesus being that stumbling stone is given in the life of Naaman the leper in the fifth chapter of 2 Kings. And we've got a table we're going to pull up for those of you who want to follow along. Hopefully, hopefully this will help you follow along. And uh, there's also, I believe this table is also in the notes for those who are online if you want to follow along. And so what we see in this story of, of Naaman the leper is that Naaman could not heal himself, but he had to be cured from his leprosy by a miracle from God. And believe it or not, this is the exact same way that we are saved as well. So let's go to the Second Kings, the fifth chapter. Now, what you see in the first verse of Second Kings, that fifth chapter, is that Naaman was described as a great man in the land of Syria, for he was called mighty and honorable, he was a commander-in-chief, and he was rich with money. But Naaman was inflicted with the incurable disease of leprosy. Did you know that's the same way that we are by nature? We may have a good job. We may be well thought of by those around us. We might even have an official position in the church. But God looks at our human nature as being leprous, for it is sinful, corrupt, depraved, and defiled. That's why in the third chapter of Romans it says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth and seeketh after God. And then, but even though Naaman was great in the eyesight of man, there was nothing that he could do to cure himself. No doctor could heal him. No medicine could cure him. And even though he was rich, there was no amount of money that could do him any good. Well, did you know in the same way, none of these world's riches, none of our good behavior, none of our good works will do us any good when it comes to salvation. Did you know that? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then if you go through verses 2 through 4 in our text, what Naaman was told by the servant of the Lord was to go to the man of God, Elisha. For Elisha could cure him of his leprosy. Did you know that's the same thing that we as servants of the Lord must do? We can't cure anyone, but we must point them to Jesus Christ. For only Jesus can cure mankind of his sin. Mark 16, 15 says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Then what you see in verse 5 was that what Naaman did was he went to the prophet with 10 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, 10 changes of raiment or clothing. And they say that'd be worth over a million dollars today. 
So Naaman went to the prophet with a whole bunch of money, hoping to somehow buy his cure. What did you know? That's the same thing that mankind does today. For we believe if we do enough righteous works that I can somehow buy or purchase my salvation. Some believe if I do good works, if I go to church every Sunday, if I pay my tithes, if I give to charity, that this will enable me to buy my salvation. Instead of coming to God just as we are, we believe we first have to make ourselves more presentable. We first have to clean ourselves up. But church, we have got to realize that we cannot clean ourselves up. But the only way to be cured from the disease of sin is we must fully submit ourselves to Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Therefore, we must come to Jesus just as we are and let God do the cleaning. Amen? But when Naaman reached Israel, verse 9 and 10 says, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elijah. This great man of, 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 great man of Syria came with all of his riches and stood at the door of the house of Elijah. And look at verse 10. And Elijah sent a messenger unto him. Elijah didn't even go see him. Elijah sent a messenger unto him saying, go and wash in Jordan seven times. That was 32 miles away, inconvenience to Naaman. Go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. In other words, what Elisha was telling Naaman was, there is no difference between him and the poorest leper in all of Israel. They all had to be cured by a miracle from God. And the only way that could occur was Naaman had to submit himself to the will of God by dipping in the Jordan River seven times, which was a sign of dying to self and completely submitting himself to the Lord. As Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, when Naaman heard this, you look at verse 11 and 12, Naaman first got angry and then went away. Verse 11 says, but Naaman was wroth, angry, and went away and said, Behold, I thought, he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? They were considered to be clean waters, while the Jordan River was a, a muddy river. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Again, did you know that's the same way that mankind is today? For they have their own thoughts as to how salvation should be obtained. And if it's not the way we think it should be, they often get angry and turn away. Have you ever witnessed to someone and they got angry simply because you told them something they didn't want to hear? Has it ever happened to anyone? Well, that's the same thing that Naaman did. But as, as it says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. But thanks be to God, our Lord didn't give up on Naaman. For in verse 13, he sent some more wit servants to witness to him. And Naaman was eventually humbled and submitted himself to the Lord. And verse 14 says, as soon as he dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times, he was miraculously healed. Did you know that's the same thing that Jesus Christ does for us? 
For when we submit ourselves to him, he saves us and he cleanses us, but it's only by a miracle from God. John 1.13 says that we were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jonah 2.9 says salvation is of the Lord. John 3.3, our Lord said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Church, we need to realize that only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can cleanse us. Only Jesus can cure us. And it has got to be a miracle from God. And this is why we must submit ourselves to Jesus Christ and not have him be that stumbling stone. For the only way we can be saved is if we recognize that Jesus Christ is our rock. Amen? Amen. Salvation comes when we recognize Jesus Christ is our rock. All right, let's go back to Luke, the 20th chapter. And we're going to look at verse 18. Look at the remainder of that 18th verse again. Luke 20, 18. And there it reads, Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So we saw that Jesus Christ is a stumbling stone to some. The second thing we see is that Jesus Christ is a crushing stone. Probably won't hear too many amens on that one. (laughs) But Jesus Christ is a crushing stone. Now with the Jewish religious leaders... Some of them were ignorant and did not believe that our Lord Jesus was who he said he was. Therefore, as we've already seen to them, Jesus was a stumbling stone. However, there were also some who didn't care who Jesus was. They refused to submit to him because they were lifted up in pride and they did not want to give up their power or authority. As Stephen later said in Acts 7.51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, You do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do ye. And to those who are willingly defiant, what our text says that our Lord Jesus will be a crushing stone of judgment, who will grind all who reject him into useless powder. Just as a big boulder, if it were to fall down, it would crush everything in its path. Jesus Christ will completely crush all of those who reject him, and they will spend eternity in hell. Now, that's not an aspect of God that we like to discuss very often. However, this reminds us of the importance of submitting ourselves to the Lord now while there's still time. For the whole world stands guilty before God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Therefore, we need a place where we can be protected from the wrath of God. As Hebrews 2, 3 says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Now, this is something the world has a difficult time accepting. For much of the world thinks, how can God judge me and send me to hell for the little things that I do wrong? How do I know that hell is real? For that matter, how do we even know that God is real? But church... All you've got to do is to look around to realize that my God is real. Amen? The 19th Psalm, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, or the sky, showeth his handiwork. Jesus Christ is the creator of this universe, and it is he that holds everything together. 
God the Father was the architect, while God the Son was the builder who participated in every act of creation. John 1, 3 says that all things were made by him that were made. All things were made by him that were made. The things we see, the things we hear, the things we smell, the things we touch were all made by Jesus Christ. Worldly scientists would have us believe that this world was created by a giant explosion 10 to 20 billion years ago. And from this explosion came matter and plants and animals and eventually the evolution of humans. And God had nothing to do with it. And this is taught in our schools as if it is fact, as if there is no other explanation. But as one writer said, that's like taking the individual parts of my watch. If I were to take this apart, each individual part of my watch, put it in a bag, shaking it up, and then believe that somehow I'm going to have a working watch. It's just not going to happen, is it? It's not going to happen. But the Bible does provide another explanation. For in the very first verse, it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And this lets us know that the world was not created by a random occurrence, but it was created by the almighty God. And that's why man has no excuse for not believing in God. For all you've got to do is to look around to realize that my God is real. Amen? Therefore, unbelief is not because we didn't know. But unbelief is because we want to satisfy the lust of the flesh and because of our own foolish pride. And that's why God is perfectly just in being a crushing stone to those who refuse to submit themselves to him. As Romans 1.22 says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And that's the state of... Sadly, that's the state of many people in the world today. And as this and many other scriptures teach us, pride will always get us in trouble. Pharaoh showed his great pride in Exodus 5-2 when he said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And that right there is the epitome of pride. God hates pride. He hates pride because pride says I did it on my own. Pride says I can make it on my own. Pride says that I don't need the Lord. And that's why those who are lifted up in pride and don't believe in the Lord will have no excuse. And to them, Jesus Christ will be a crushing stone. For we should realize that we will always need the Lord. As our Lord Jesus said in John 15, 5, Without me, ye can do nothing. Letting us know our entire existence is dependent solely upon God. And again, if you have any doubt whatsoever, just look around at this world. For we should realize that we will always need the Lord. You remember the story of Job. How many know the story of Job? Hopefully, most people know the story of Job. After Job went all that he went through, lost his flock, 10 children killed, boils all over his body, Job began to question the sovereignty of God. And Job basically said, God, why am I going through all of this? 
God, why is all of this happening to me? He even asked the question, God, why was I born? And not to put Job down, because I can certainly understand why he asked those questions, considering the suffering that he went through. I would ask the same questions probably and even more. But but, but after Job asked his questions, what the Lord wanted Job to learn was that he needed to trust God despite his outward circumstances. And that's a lesson that we need to learn today as well. We need to trust God despite our outward circumstances. And therefore, after Job had asked his questions, and remember, Job didn't realize what Satan was doing behind the scenes. But after Job had asked his his questions, God didn't answer him directly, but instead, God began to question Job. And if you look at the 38th chapter of Job, let's go there real quick. That's right before the book of Psalms. In the 38th chapter of Job, we're going to read the first seven verses there. God began to question Job. And he asked Job 77 questions altogether, beginning with this 38th chapter, 38th chapter, beginning in the first verse. And there it reads, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, who is this that is speaking ignorant words without wisdom? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest? Or who stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. In other words, the Lord told Job, Job, if you think you know so much, you tell me how I made this world. You tell me how I made all of creation. And Job ended up saying, if you go to the 42nd chapter, verses 2 and 3, Job ended up saying, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I understood that I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Job was humbled, and now he knew that he needed the Lord. And church, you don't even have to look as far as the world. Just look at your own human body to realize that we will always need the Lord. For instance, did you know that our human body starts out as a single solitary cell that over time develops into a body with trillions of cells that all work together to enable us to function. In the average adult body, there is 60,000 miles of blood vessels through which the blood flows. That's enough to go around the world two and a half times. Soak on that for just a minute. Google it if you don't believe me. I Googled it four or five times. I couldn't believe it myself. In the average human adult body, 60,000 miles of blood vessels. The circumference of the earth is 24,901 miles. So in the average adult body, there are enough blood vessels to go around this entire world two and a half times. Who could do that but God himself? Amen? 
Who could do that but God himself? And one day, an adult's heart pumps almost 2,000 gallons of blood. That's enough to fill up a tanker truck every day. Every 24 hours, our heart beats over 100,000 times. We breathe 23,000 times. Our blood travels 12,000 miles every day. That's four times the distance from here to California. We use 750 different muscles, 7 million blood cells, our outer layer of skin, which is our first line of defense against disease, is replaced every 15 to 30 days automatically without a single act of our own will. When we take the time to meditate upon this, we should realize that we are here today only by the power of God. Amen? Doctors can't heal us. Medicine can't cure us. Even mama can't help us without the power of God. My God enables us to walk right. My God enables us to talk right. My God enables us to think right. My God enables us to live right. Therefore, instead of being lifted up in pride, we have got to depend on God. For we don't want Jesus to be our crushing stone. Amen? Just look around and realize that my God is real. Look at this human body. My God is real, church. Amen? Don't let him be a crushing stone. All right, last but not least, let's wrap it up. Let's go to Luke 20, 17. Let's go back to Luke, 20th chapter, and the 17th verse. And there it reads, And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. So we saw that Jesus Christ was a stumbling stone to some. We saw it's a crushing stone to some. But last but not least, Jesus Christ is a cornerstone. Jesus Christ is a cornerstone. Now, I've already seen that our Lord Jesus was a stumbling stone to the nation of Israel. They stumbled and fell when he first came to him because he was not what they expected. But he's also a crushing stone of judgment to those in the world who are defiant and reject him. For just as a large boulder might do, he will crush all who reject him into useless powder. But the good news, the great news is that he's also a cornerstone to all of those who place their trust in him. Now in ancient times, the cornerstone of a building was often large and costly. It it was carefully inspected. And if any flaw or or imperfection was found, it had to be rejected for it had to be perfect. Well, this should be comforting to us because Jesus Christ is a perfect cornerstone. Think about a physical cornerstone. That cornerstone is always the first part of the building that's laid down. Well, in the same way, Jesus Christ is the first part or the originator of the church. Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The cornerstone or the foundation stone is also a necessary part of the building. No building can be built or or without the foundation. Well, in the same way, there is no church without Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When the foundation is laid, 
Many stones are added on top of it in order to make up the building. Well, did you know that we as the saints are the living stones who are built up upon the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ? Ephesians 2.20 says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And a cornerstone has to be sturdy. The cornerstone has to be solid. The cornerstone has to be something that won't move. If you have a poor foundation, the whole building will collapse. Well, Jesus Christ is the perfect cornerstone. For just like a large rock, he's unmovable. Just like a large rock, he's solid. Just like a large rock, he's sure. That's why our Lord Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Some mistakenly believe that our rock is good works. And if I just live a good life and treat everybody right, then I will be saved. Some mistakenly believe that our rock is religion. And if I just say my prayers, go to the synagogue, the mosque, the church every once in a while, then I will be saved. Some mistakenly believe that our rock is the physical building. And therefore, if I just do enough stuff in the church, then I will be saved. But again, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. What we need to realize is that the only rock who can save us is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For he is a solid rock. He is a sure foundation. He is the chief cornerstone upon which we can place all of our hope. We may read the Bible, listen to the sermons, go to church every Sunday, go to Bible study every Wednesday, and still miss the Savior if Jesus Christ is not our rock. For Christianity is more than the religion, but it's a personal relationship with the true and living God, Jesus Christ. And when you have that relationship, when you're standing on the chief cornerstone, when you're protected by the rock, that's when you can make it through anything you might have to go through. Amen? You got to be rooted standing on that rock. And then you can make it through anything you might have to go through. David said in the 18th Psalm, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. The psalmist said, but the Lord is my defense, and my God is the rock of my refuge. David later said, he said, the Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of the rock of my salvation. We need to remember that there is no rock like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to place our trust in him. I thank God that Jesus Christ is our rock. Amen? Oh, man. I could keep going, but we're running out of time. (laughs) Jesus Christ is our rock. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you truly are our rock. As we see all that's going on around us in this world, in Ukraine, Lord, in our own personal lives, Lord, if we're we're not standing on that solid foundation, on that solid rock, then we are sure to be drift all over the place, Lord. But I thank God that we have a chief cornerstone, a rock, whom we can place our trust in. And I just pray, Lord, that in the midst of everything that we might be going through, Lord, and so many of us are going through so much, that we might remember that you are our rock. 
You are our deliverer. You are our fortress. You and you alone, Lord Jesus, are everything that we need. We thank you, Lord, for being that rock, Lord, and we give you all honor, glory, and praise. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.